This episode of Fearless Rebel Radio is brought to you by You On Fire. You On Fire is the amazing 12-week online group coaching program that I run where we build up your worth from the ground up so that it's no longer hinging on the way that you look. It's got personalized coaching from me and incredible community support plus lifetime access. Get details on what's included in this program and sign up to be notified when doors open for the next cycle by going to summerinandin.com forward slash you on fire. I would love to have you in that program and in that group. This is Fearless Rebel Radio, a podcast about body positivity, self-worth, anti-dieting, and feminism. I am your host, Summer Inanin, a professionally trained coach specializing in body image, self-worth, and confidence, and the best-selling author of Body Image Remix. If you're ready to break free of societal standards and stop living behind the number on your scale, then you have come to the right place. Welcome to the show. This is episode 130, and it's a special episode because I am sharing the mic with Rachel Cole as we co-host this episode together and share our experiences with pregnancy thus far, our fears about the postpartum period. And we talk a lot about the impact of weight stigma on pre and postnatal bodies and more. You can find all the links and resources, and there are quite a few in this podcast at summerinandin.com forward slash 130. Before we begin, I want to give a shout out to Pam Smiles, who left this fantastic review. Amazing advice and inspirational guests that you can pull into your life for an hour and feed off the energy to live a better life with power and happiness. Thank you so much, Pam. That's awesome. I really appreciate it. Leaving a review helps others to find the show and the information you are learning here. You can take two minutes to do that by heading to iTunes, searching for Fearless Rebel Radio, and then click Ratings and Reviews, and click to leave a review or give it a rating. And if you haven't already done so, please subscribe to this show via iTunes or whatever platform you use so you never miss an episode. Lastly, you can get the free 10-day body confidence makeover at summerinandin.com forward slash freebies with 10 steps to take right now to feel better in your body. Today's guest is Rachel Cole. Rachel Cole is a certified life coach, celebrated teacher, and women's empowerment expert. She has spent 10 years guiding women to identify, understand, and feed their truest hungers at and away from the table. As an eating disorder survivor herself, Rachel speaks with great wisdom, sensitivity, and authority about what it takes to live as a well-fed woman in the modern world. She has traveled across the United States and internationally speaking and teaching to sold out gatherings of women on how they too can find ease and fulfillment in their lives simply by honoring their own hungers. Rachel holds a master's degree in holistic health education and is a certified professional coactive coach. Rachel has been on the show before. She was on episode number 81 talking about what it's like to be a highly sensitive person and how that influences self-care and her relationship with her body and all of those other things. So you can check that out there by searching for episode 81, or it's linked in the show notes for this episode. And I wanted to create this particular episode because Rachel and I are at a very similar point in our pregnancy. We've just started the third trimester. And, uh, you know, I think both of us having worked in the, you know, anti-diet body image sphere for so long, have a lot to say about the pressure that is put on 
pregnant and postnatal bodies and, uh, you know, just some of the things that we don't really talk about, like what, you know, what happens in the post postpartum period and our fears and, you know, what we're trying to do to be better prepared for it. So I think that you're going to get a lot out of this episode. We share a lot about our personal experiences with these things as well. And I also just want to mention, because I failed to mention this during the program, one of the support systems I have in place right now is I'm a part of a program called the Rising Tide Women Lifeboat Program, and it's a virtual program run by two doulas in somewhere on the eastern coast of the U.S., and I apologize for not having that off the top of my head, but it's virtual, so it doesn't really matter. You can join from anywhere in the world, and it's awesome. It's a nine-month program, and it started a couple months ago for me, so it's going to carry me through the third trimester of pregnancy and then the first few months of, of the postpartum period, and uh, it's, it's essentially like a birthing class as well as a postpartum class, so we're covering everything about the birth and you know, how to prepare for that and breastfeeding and the postpartum period. And uh, they're super knowledgeable. And it's been so wonderful to just have that additional support system as I navigate this. And so I highly recommend it. I, I'm going to link to it in the show notes. And again, it's called the Rising Tide Women Lifeboat Program. And I apologize to them for not mentioning it during the show. I had it written down to say it. And then I it slipped my mind when I was talking about some of the measures that I have put in place to support myself through that period. All right, let's get started with this episode. Hi, Rachel. Welcome to the show. Hi, Summer. So happy to be here. I'm so happy to have you here. So why don't you tell everyone how far along you are in your pregnancy? At the time of this recording, I am 32 weeks. So in the home stretch. And your due date is then the end of August sometime or the beginning of September? officially September 1st, but you know, it's up to her. <laughs> it's a total, yeah, we have no control. So uh, at the time of this recording, I'm like 29 and a half weeks. And so we're both in the third trimester, the home stretch. Yeah. How are you feeling right now? You know, the third trimester has been the kindest to me. So I feel really good about that. Um, and I think I've also just been like worn down to like a, normalize a, a level of constant discomfort, you know, <laughs> like yes. I'm not, I'm not phased as much by like the heartburn and the swollen feet and the hemorrhoids and the, you know, like, I'm like, Oh, this is just now my new normal. H yeah. How are you feeling? I'm okay. I mean, I, I, I was one of the, I, I kind of fit the typical second trimester burst of energy <laughs> that the expectation that everyone talks about. I felt really good in the second trimester. And ever since I hit week, like 27, 28, I felt things kind of just crash a bit. So I'll have good days and then I'll have days where all I want to do is stay in bed and cry. And like, it's been a weird, I've had a bit of an emotional shift in the third trimester where, yeah, it's just, I'll just have days where I'm just like, just really out of sorts. And then yeah, the next day I'm totally fine. So yeah, I actually, I talked to, I talked to my, I have, I have an amazing, I have an amazing naturopathic doctor. Uh, she's helped me through this entire pregnancy. She's she's wonderful. I talked to her about it because I was I was you know trying to just make sure that this was okay and this was normal, not abnormal, nothing to be concerned about. And the frequency with what I've with what I've been experiencing so far, it's it's nothing to be concerned about. It's just kind of normal hormonal. Yeah, the hormonal shift that that happens, and uh, and probably just feeling more tired because I don't sleep. I sleep. I get like three good hours, and then oh. <laughs> And I'm just 
I need, I need, I need to be, I need to be on like a rotisserie, like where I just like, completely <laughs> rotate all night. Because yeah, yeah. I'm just in. So it is much a constant pain. rotation. It's there's no like laying in one position and then waking up eight hours later in that position. But I feel like I've been, I've been really lucky mostly on the sleep front. I am up often for like maybe an hour in the night, but my for some reason my bladder for the most part was only asking me to pee once a night. Um, yeah, so I feel yeah. My bladder hasn't been too bad. For me, it's I get excruciating pain down the sides of yeah. my legs. And Are you having muscle cramps or just like hip pain from having to lay on your side? It's it's hip pain. It goes all the way down my IT band and my glutes. So I've been I think when we first talked about this, I was like, I have, I have a team of people helping me <laughs> to, to try and, and, and like make it less painful, but it's still, it's disruptive. I mean, I have to turn over every like 45 minutes. So I wake up from my sleep. So, I feel you. Yeah. But I mean, it's like, it's been pretty vanilla. So let's, let's talk about that actually. How's your experience been with pregnancy thus far? Is it, is it what you expected? Um, that's such a hard question to sort of like, because I see things on like, you know, the spiritual and emotional and physical planes. And I also know that, you know, there are women who can't get pregnant. One of my very good friends lost her baby at 20 weeks. And I know someone who was nauseous from day one through for the whole nine months. And so I never want to say, you know, mine was the hardest. And for me personally, it has been pretty brutal. And I kind of expected that. I'm not somebody who came to motherhood with a lot of grounded certainty about this path. I never saw myself as being a mom, um, even though this was a planned pregnancy. I, you know, this was sort of something I came to later in life and sort of knew was going to be a sort of spiritual crucible for me and a physical crucible for me. I'm sure we'll touch on all of these points at some point, but you know, I, I tried going off of Zoloft before getting pregnant and ended up having just really, really awful depression. Um, and ultimately later on in the pregnancy went back on it, which was the best decision for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and then have had just a host of, of health stuff, had some preterm contractions, had to go to the hospital and had like, you know, I mentioned heartburn, I think, um, at one point, you know, I woke up one night with my airway completely obstructed from, from acid reflux and like it was, couldn't breathe at all, couldn't get any oxygen. So it's just been sort of a, a constant steady sort of like, ah! and I think with any first time mom, you know, you, you don't, everything's new and you're like, is my baby okay? Am I doing everything right? And, you know, you're just nervous, more nervous than maybe my sister gave birth actually today with her third. And it's clear that, you know, by the third, you're, you're not phased as much. Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, it's been pretty beautiful. I mean, brutal and beautiful, brutal, I think is the word. And, and, you know, that's I'm, at this point, I think now that I, I feel like I'm through the worst of the pregnancy, knock on wood, I'm grateful for it. It's definitely broken me open in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other thing, you know, the other main theme for me and my pregnancy that I don't, I haven't shared a lot with publicly is let's see about six plus years ago, I was sexually assaulted and have some pretty serious residual pelvic, chronic pelvic pain and, and fissuring, chronic skin fissuring mm-hmm. and tearing. And so obviously the thought of a vaginal birth brings up a lot of fear and anxiety. So that's been a big focus of my pregnancy is, is working with that on all 
all those levels. And when you say working with that, what kind of what kind of care are you giving to it? What kind of support or what, what kind of support do you have? I'm very privileged. Mm-hmm. Um, and I am. And, you know, it was a, a it's been an adjustment for me. And maybe you can relate to this of getting comfortable asking for so much support mm-hmm. or I'm just like, it, it feels uh, foreign to me, even though I'm in the, you know, in a business and a practice of taking care of myself or believing that I'm worthy of being taken care of. This was a whole nother level. So right pretty soon after I found out I was pregnant, I started seeing a, a prenatal psychotherapist and have continued to see her weekly throughout my pregnancy. And that's been just awesome to talk to someone who, you know, this is their specialty is this journey and the sort of emotions and process that we go through to become a mother. And, and then I also have been working with, um, a, a pelvic care healer who does integrated physical work. So it's, you know, actual physical manipulation vaginally, but also, incorporating the psycho-spiritual element. So we're doing emotional processing while there's like basically physical therapy happening. It's, mm. it's pretty intense, Yeah, but it's been really, really healing and has taken me from really terrified about the birth to feeling like it's actually really has the potential to be a healing experience for my body and for me. Oh, that's so good to hear. I'm, you know, it's, it's great that you're able to and have taken all of those measures to, you know, to have that support system through this. Yeah. I feel like I don't know how, I mean, on the one hand it's extreme privilege. And on the other hand, I think I would have just had to have an elective Mm -hmm. (laughs) C-section otherwise. Mm -hmm. So I feel very, very fortunate. And I wish that we, I mean, you know, I'm in America where our maternal care is um, an embarrassment the physical care, never mind the emotional care. So, yeah, yeah. For for me, I've been really fortunate in that I haven't I haven't encountered any complications throughout this, and I've had a really good support system to help me navigate this because I'm you know I'm I'm pushing forty, and so the majority of my friends have all had kids. And so I have a huge network of people to, to reach out to and say, you know, what did you do about this? Or like, how did this feel for you? And, and so I felt really lucky because if I had to rely on Google, I think I would (laughs) feel really bad. The thing, right. Is that like, (laughs) we were, we're meant to do this in, in a community and in a sisterhood of women who've gone before us or are going through it. We're meant like, that's how it's supposed to be happening. But we are often sort of on our own with Google or with our best friend who lives on the other side of the country. Or like it's, I've had to really come to terms with the fact that the community support is up to me to create. There isn't a waiting uh, circle of women in the forest ready to like, cocoon me that doesn't exist in our modern society yes 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 and we'll talk more about that like what we're doing for ourselves postpartum because I think that that's super important yeah I know I know for me like what I think I mean I I had one scare two weeks ago where I thought I had I thought I had a prolapse and that was just like a I I don't um but uh it was a huge reminder of of like okay you gotta like slow down you gotta like you can't do 
what you did before. <laughs> even if even if you think you can, you can't do what you did before. And I think that that's kind of been like the theme of this entire pregnancy. And I've learned so much about surrendering and letting go because I've, you know, the first trimester was was rough. I had as a as an entrepreneur, and I'm sure you can relate to this, you know, we rely on our creative energy. We re- because we have to do a lot of writing, a lot of you know, sharing, whether it's on social media or via blog uh, and this podcast. And I had nothing like I, nothing. I had nothing. nothing. And that was so hard for me because it didn't it, it didn't matter how much I tried to push through it. I just I would just stare at my computer and yeah. nof- and nothing would happen. And so I finally made the decision in I think when I was about four weeks along where I was like, I'm just I'm not doing any like I'm I'm taking the next month off. And I think I ended up taking six weeks where all I did was see clients. And so I stopped the podcast. I stopped all social media. I stopped my blog. And I was, you know, at the time I was like, what's going to happen? You know what? Nothing happened. Like people don't forget about you that soon. (laughs) But for me, it was like that, like all the work that I've done around food and my body and perfectionism over the years, I had to lean on that to really not even just lower the bar, but take the bar away completely for myself Mm -hmm. so that it could just be, all right, like, what does my body need today? And, you know, what do I feel like I'm capable of instead of an expectation of like, I should be able to do X, Y, Z. Yeah. I thought like, oh, maternity leave starts after the baby comes. And really for me, (laughs) like this whole year has been sort of an early walk into maternity leave just because this pregnancy has just taken is needed more from me than, than I had to give if I kept up the same sort of pace and focus on my business. And so I've had to trust that there's, you know, there is a sort of fallowness that comes with this period. And I know that there will be a spring at some point where I'll come back and I'll be different and I'll have more energy for my business. But it was not this year. I really relate to that. Yeah, I think I had, I mean, I like I said, the second trimester, I had good energy. But, it, you know, the whole time I was like, this could go away at any at a moment's notice. And That's it kind of right. did in the last like couple of weeks, which I had anticipated for because I really wound things down uh, for the next two months because I'm only going to the end of August. And then I'm taking, well, you know, he's he's due September 22nd. But so I'm you know, taking three weeks, hopefully, or if he comes early, at least I'll have like a week or two, maybe. And if he's late, then I'll just be sitting here. (laughs) Yeah, get this thing out of me. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So what has your experience been with with your with your body image during pregnancy? You know, I remember the night we found out that we were pregnant, which was even again, even though we were trying to get pregnant was a total shock. I mean, we'd been trying for like 11 months. So it was, it was a total shock and laying there and both of us being like, Whoa, like, Oh my God, we're going to be parents. You know, all those sort of initial like processing how life is going to change. And, and then it just sort of dawning on me a little bit later, like, Whoa, I'm going to gain a lot of weight this year. Like my body's really going to change and not in a negative, like it wasn't like a, a fearful observation, but it was just a, a recognition that that was the journey that I was entering and just sort of just had to take a minute with that. And, and I, I imagine you relate to this, but the work ha- that I have done before getting pregnant 
laid the groundwork for this, for making this um, season of body change much easier. Mm-hmm. I, I've had two recoveries from restrictive eating disorders in my life. And both of those times had to gain a lot of weight pretty rapidly. And so those experiences proved invaluable in this uh, experience. And my relationship to my body is not one of object. Mm -hmm. Um, That doesn't mean that there isn't some letting go of like, okay, so, oh, look, I, you know, I, I was applying some story to my pre-pregnancy body. I, I did have a story that, you know, oh, well, that is what makes me have, you know, a fashion sense. I can have a fashion sense easier with that body, or um, I feel sexier with that body, or, you, you know, it, of course, those sort of thoughts come up, but because I've worked a lot with body change and becoming really, um, sort of devoted to, uh, like the practice as a human of, of relating to the human body is something that's always changing. Mm-hmm. Um, it's been a lot, a lot easier. Um, that doesn't mean that like the world isn't still, can I curse the world isn't still yes, yes. fucked up, you know, cause it is. And, you know, people make stupid comments and there's all this stuff that people project onto pregnant women and, and new mothers. But for me, it's, it's been an extension of a practice I was already doing before getting pregnant, which is how can I let go of my attachment to how my body looks and what shape it is and what it weighs and, and how can I, um, trust it and dress it in ways that feel good or comfortable and honor it and let go of sort of attachment to like some mental concept of how it should be. Mm -hmm. So this just feels like more of that in a sort of accelerated (laughs) process. What about you? Yeah, yeah. So I mean, I relate to so much of what you just said there, because, you know, like, uh, this is this is this is my work. This is my passion. This is what I talk about on a daily basis with people. And so I've done so much around it that, you know, I think if you had asked me like 10 years ago, I would have been terrified. And yeah, you know, you know, just because I had so much internalized fat phobia, and and such a disordered relationship with with my, with food and my body and dysmorphia and, you know, every, and everything else. And so, you know, I haven't, I've had moments where I'll just look at myself and I'm like, I'm not attractive, but it's not like, it's not emotionally charged and Mm. it doesn't, it's like, it's an, it's just a neutral observation where I'm just like, I don't, I don't feel attractive today, you know, mm-hmm. and, but, and it's, and it doesn't shake my self-worth, which I think is yeah. the big difference. And then, and then it's been like, okay, well, like, why am I, you know, what else is going, like, what else could be yeah. causing me to kind of fixate on my body? Because for me, like my body was always a coping mechanism. So my body was always something that I turned to. It was a way for me to internalize shame about and stress. So whether it was just shame about being, feeling not good enough or stress about feeling overwhelmed or other things going on in my life, it always came back to my body. And so for me, like, I mean, there's just so much anxiety about parenthood that I think on the days where I start to feel a little more overwhelmed, or I start to really question, like, am I going to be able to handle this? Am I going to be good enough? 
it, I, I that there's a correlation between that and the days where I will look at myself in the mirror and sort of think like, ugh, you know, and, mm-hmm. and, and then there's days where, you know, I'm like, I, I look cute. Like I'm cute, mm-hmm. <laughs> but, right. but it's not again, again, I think I've just done so much to detach it from my self-worth that neither of those things are really hinged on how I feel about myself now. I wonder how that will be afterwards. Right. You know, I'm not expecting myself to be bulletproof postpartum because I think that there's so much that changes with respect to your identity. And I think it's really going to challenge, you know, how much of my self-worth has even just a little bit been conditional on the way that I look or other parts of my identity and how I then turn to my body to kind of reclaim that sense of identity, you know, cause that's what I, that's what I notice when I'm working with people. And, and so I'm not, I'm not saying I'm free of it. I'm not out of the woodwork well, yet. I think you know, we've made a lot of strides in, we have so far to go, but we've made a lot of strides in terms of visibility of diverse body sizes and types. But one thing that we really don't see in our culture in any way that is other than shaming is postpartum bodies and postpartum bellies. Mm-hmm. That's still, I mean, it's just now there's some cool projects, fourth trimester project. Um, there's a, a few other um, people doing work around it, but it's so rare that we even see a naked human woman postpartum in presented to us in any way other than a before picture mm-hmm. of plastic surgery or a before picture of some extreme fitness regimen or and so we don't really even have a concept of that as normal beautiful healthy also a vessel that someone who has you know a great life and is happy and ha- you know like we just see it as um, something to be ashamed and cover up and suck in and wear Spanx and mm-hmm. get a tummy tuck and go make sure you get back to doing, you know, your Pilates so quickly. Like we have so much stuff wrapped up in that. So I think that's really good and normal that you're giving yourself that space. I mean, I, f- I feel that too. Like, and yeah. Yeah. And I think, and, and, and what I've really noticed, I love to observe stuff because it's just my nature, but I've noticed that it's, it's not even, I mean, it's, there's so much pressure on the, on the postpartum body, you know, like you should really just hide until it looks back right. to the way it was again. That's kind of the message that we get, but there's also a lot of pressure around, around pregnant bodies and like pregnant bodies looking a certain way and pregnant bodies being the only pregnant bodies we see celebrated are the ones without stretch marks are the ones where it's like just the belly and maybe the boobs and you know no other no other uh weight changes or and, and and you know like we rarely see plus size pregnancies, you know, that, and, right. and there is that website, um, plus size pregnancy, which I'll link in the show notes, but there, and I think that, you know, I, I will observe like in pregnancy forums just to kind of get content to write about, which I know is maybe a little destructive in a way, but also gets me fired up. You know, there's just so much grief and shame around, around weight gain. And there's this celebration around being smaller, like the less weight that you gain when you're pregnant, the better, which is so fucked up. Like, right. So fucked up because first of all, we don't have control. And then secondly, you know, I hear about women engaging in dieting behaviors, ones that they don't even think are dieting behaviors, whether it's just like, I'm just going to track my calories to make sure I'm only eating X number more. But those all like I was thinking about this the other day, I'm like, we are essentially 
you know, we're putting our unborn babies on diets, you know, because yeah. they're like before they've even left the womb, they they're on a diet because the mothers are dieting during pregnancy to try to minimize the amount of weight that is gained. Yeah, I won't name names, but someone I know who had kids a long, long time ago has there's no photos of her when she was pregnant because she was like, I can't I can't have records of of being of weighing that much. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, oh, yeah, yeah. And I mean, I know one thing that you have talked about that I'm really inspired by. So I up until being pregnant, I always declined the scale at the doctor. I never feel like, you know, I mean, that's really not useful. I don't need to know that number. I don't think the doctor needs to know that number almost ever. I have felt more relaxed about it during pregnancy. If the doctor wants it, fine, whatever. I know that you have been declining the scale for the most part during your pregnancy. What, what's that been mm-hmm. like? Yeah. So the, I mean, I, I've, uh, again, I think that I come from a place of privilege here. So my treatment at the doctor, and in my case, the midwife, is probably different than than somebody else. So the first time that I had that appointment, the midwife asked me, she said, do you want a weight chart? Do you want us to track your weight? And I said, no, I said, my body's going to do what it's going to do. I'm like, there's like, I can't control it. Uh, if, you know, if there, if I'm concerned about anything, I'll let you know. And she was like, okay. And that was it. That's the only time that it's been brought up. They don't even have a scale in the, they have a scale in the bathroom at my midwife, but they don't have a scale in the, uh, in the consultation rooms. So, nor is there a weight chart to be seen anywhere. And so I don't know if that's a unique experience that I'm having. It is. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. So tell me about what you've experienced. (laughs) I mean, it hasn't, it hasn't been too bad. I realized this, the, the bar's low. Um, but I did go to a sort of group prenatal care session early on in my pregnancy. We were all asked to sort of get on the scale and get our blood pressure taken and pee in a cup or whatever. And I went to step on the scale and I looked down and it was branded the biggest loser, like that TV show. Oh my God. It was like a branded scale from the biggest loser at the doctor's office. And I was like, what, what planet have I wandered onto? It was not, again, because of what I do, it wasn't triggering for me, but I could imagine for many women that being incredibly triggering. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think it is important to remember that like we're sold this idea that, you know, this is exactly the amount of pounds you should gain during your pregnancy and any more than this is bad and any less than this is bad. And like that is so insanely prescriptive for the diversity of our bodies and our heritages. And like, it makes no sense to me that we would be so precise in like down to like the pound. And of course for larger bodied women, they're told, well, you you can only gain a little bit. Yeah. You know, right. Mm. For you, it's different. There's, you know, and so, yeah, size discrimination. Something I something I've heard a lot from people just as I've talked about this is is the size discrimination that they experienced when they were pregnant, whether it was, That's you know, nice. just from other people or from their doctor and and you know that we we know that the, you know, that feeling discriminated against it, it results in like trauma and shame and stress and you know, we're talking about what is healthy for the mom, what is healthy for the baby. Like I I you know, the medical system 
is doing such a disservice to, to, to women and treating them in, in treating them that way. Yep. In peep to people, actually, I should say, sorry, I didn't mean to say women there, but to anyone who's pregnant. Yeah, no, it's, I mean, I am trying to imagine going through this experience every time going to see the doctor and being aware that the doctor was disgusted with my body or looked at me like my body was my fault or that my body couldn't support a healthy baby or, you know, all of this bullshit that, um, larger bodied people experience. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Really upsets me. Yeah. Likewise. Likewise. And and so what, what have you done to support your body image through this process? Like, what have you done? I know you're obviously not mm-hmm. weighing yourself, but what else? Well, I'm big on always wearing clothes that are comfortable. I think that like the cruelest thing anyone can do pregnant or not is make themselves wear clothes that are not comfortable or too small. Um, so one of the things I learned from eating disorder recovery was buy pants before in the size next size up before you need them. So that if you wake up one morning and the other pants don't fit, you don't have to like stress about going to the store. You just open your closet and get out that next size. And so pretty early in my pregnancy, as soon as I found out, I ordered, you know, the next two sizes of maternity jeans and two pairs of maternity leggings. And that has, you know, carried me through my pregnancy for the most part. So I think the clothing piece is, is really important. Something that this might feel like a slight tangent, but feels related is I, I developed this rash on my face and I can't really treat it because the medication to treat it isn't safe for pregnancy. So I have had to just sort of surrender to having, you know, I joke that it looks like an infectious disease, like having a very, very glaring, obvious rash on my face. Mm-hmm. And that practice of letting go of people's projections and assumptions, because people do that when you have a rash on their face, like a lot of people think, oh, well, her diet must be terrible, right? She clearly doesn't eat well. Or, oh, it's, you know, it's just people have such a thing about um, skin that's not perfect. Yeah. And so that has been such a great practice in letting go of what people assume or think. Cause I also, I can't cover it up. Makeup makes it flare up. So it just is, it is what it is. And that's really helped sort of with the whole of everything is like just a overall letting go of what anyone else thinks or their projections onto me, their assumptions that has really helped. Yeah. Good. I echo the, um, the clothing piece big time. That was like, I got the maternity clothes before I needed them because I did not want to get to a point where stuff was uncomfortable and bras like I grew in my oh, bras God. really fast. <laughs> and I think was I talking to you about how like nursing bras are the greatest thing yeah. ever? Um so for those of you that don't like aren't can, aren't pregnant or not don't plan on being pregnant like get nursing bras they're amazing. <laughs> they're like they're like the bra that you always wished that they made. <laughs> There's no underwire. They're awesome. Um, so yeah, I got everything before I before I before I needed it too. So so it's kind of the same basics that I always prescribe to clients as like, Katie, hey, don't you know, don't step on the scale, change your change your social media because the pregnancy stuff can be kind of subtle. Every article you read on pregnancy shows a thin white young woman with no stretch yeah. marks, and um, you know, fortunately, there's a lot 
there's a lot more uh, amazing accounts to follow that show pregnant bodies and postpartum bodies. And I'll link to those in the show notes. I mentioned them before on an episode I did with Carla Korn. And, and so, yeah, just looking at diverse images has been really helpful. And, and I think just overall, I mean, from a self-care perspective is, is just being really gentle with myself and having to really just know I'm going to have to invest a lot more time and, and money, which fortunately, like my husband has decent benefits, uh, on stuff that is going to make me more comfortable, like physiotherapy or chiropractic care or Canada. (laughs) (laughs) Well, uh, benefits, the benefits are based like they're, 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 they're a company thing. So, (laughs) um, (laughs) yeah, I mean, here's the thing with Canada, Canada doesn't, so so in Canada, uh, we get a 12 to 18 months of maternity leave, but being self-employed, I get nothing. I get zero, I get zero, Mm. I get zero compensation from the government. So, I'm funding my entire maternity leave on my own. And, uh, and that's, yeah, you know, there's pros and cons of being an entrepreneur. Like it's, I get to do the work that I love to do. I'm going to have more flexibility once the baby's here, but the maternity leave is, is, it's a big hit. I get, I get nothing, I get nothing, not one penny. (laughs) So, (laughs) and it costs money to run my, to just keep this business alive. Like the podcast costs money. Like there's, You know, there's stuff that people probably don't realize just to, to even just exist, you know, whether it's like website hosting and yes. all that stuff too. So yeah. Not free to run a business. I'm essentially losing money on maternity leave. Yeah, <laughs> yeah same. Yep. Um, I want to circle back to something you said that reminded me, you said your husband's been super helpful and you know, on the one hand, the same is, is true for me. You know, my husband tells me every day, I'm so beautiful. He's so attracted to me, all that stuff. And that's great. And something that I believed before I even met my husband is that when we're in intimate relationship with somebody, part of our responsibility is to introduce our body to them and the terms of our body and what feels good to our body. And, the language that we use about our body. And like, it's, it's our job to sort of make that introduction, like, Hey, this is, this is my body. And so, and when we do that with less shame now, of course, everyone brings some shame on some level, but then we teach them that we don't relate to this body with a critical eye. We, we set the tone. And so as my husband has sort of, you know, been saying these wonderful things to me. I'm also aware that, you know, postpartum, um, and for the, you know, multiple years to come after that as, cause I don't believe things like settle into one place after six weeks of giving birth, but, um, postpartum, there's going to be, again, that process of me, me getting to know my new body as it changes, but also me introducing my new body to my husband with the language that I want, with the respect that I want, with the vulnerability that I want, like all of that, like I don't need to look to him to help me define how to relate to it after birth, but I can, like, he might not have any idea what's coming and the changes that are coming and that's okay. Like I can, I can also be like, yeah, okay. So let's, let's both get to know this new body. Mm-hmm. That's uh, I love that you brought that up. That's I haven't I haven't really given a lot of thought to that. That's so good. So important too. I think. Well, I don't know if you feel this way, but sometimes when he's like, "You're so beautiful," or like, "I'm so attracted to you," I have that little voice that's like, "Well, how are you going to feel in six months?" 
Um, mm-hmm. And so for me, that's sort of how I work with that little gremlin voice is like, oh, in six months, we're going to have a reintroduction. We're going to be re we're both going to be meeting a new body together. Yeah. I get to set the sort of terms of how we respect and relate to that body. Yeah. My husband's been with me through so many body fluctuations too. Like he he met me when I was at my thinnest. And so he's never, uh, I mean, I get, I'm, I don't want to say I'm lucky because I feel like this should just be the standard for everybody, but he's never made any comments about weight change through my entire relationship. He's always been like such a hornball for me, you know, like (laughs) for lack of a better (laughs) term, but he's just, he's always been like just super attracted to me regardless. And I think actually, you know, my confidence in my body was what has helped was has what's made him more attracted to me over the years. Um, it's just me being more like comfortable in it and able to walk around in it and own it. And so, but, uh, yeah, I haven't really talked to him about the postpartum period at all. So that gives me something to do before over the next few weeks. Yeah, Cause you need an, uh, one more thing to do. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, well, you know, like I, and I know we're going to talk about this, but like the, you know, the, the, I, I really am trying to, you know, do a lot to just prepare for postpartum for, me and my body and my emotions and stuff. And so, yeah, I think that's a worthwhile discussion to have. (laughs) For sure. And not one that we really talk about. Yeah. Before we go forward, though, I know you mentioned to me like your, you know, your, your belly love podcast and how much that helps you. So talk about that. So, yeah, I mean, sort of an extension of, of everything I've talked about, you know, when I got pregnant and I sort of started dipping my toe in the world of pregnant women and pregnant bodies. I was really struck by, you know, how much adoration and celebration and sort of fetishization and obsession there is with pregnant women's bellies and how it's one of the only times in, in sort of modern Western culture when a woman is, a larger, rounder belly is celebrated for a woman. Like we celebrate it on a two year old. And we celebrate it on a pregnant women. And then the other time we celebrate a belly is when it's flat and toned and has six pack abs. But other ways we don't really like bellies and we shame them a lot. And we certainly shame postpartum bellies. And so I was really struck by what it was going to be like to go for nine months and have people like love my belly and ooh and ah and want to touch it and just say, oh, I love, you know, all these like compliments, these sort of verbal compliments, even from strangers and then go potentially, I don't know, into an experience where I'm the recipient of, of cultural shame. And that sort of overnight happens. And so I, I wanted to explore that, but not just about the sort of pregnancy to postpartum experience. I really wanted to explore all the different facets of how women relate to their bellies throughout the journeys of life and menopause and fat stigma and on and on and on. So I, I set out to have just a, a, a capsule set of conversations with a variety of really wise women. Um, and that turned into the belly love podcast and doing that project and having those conversations and, and conducting those interviews and creating, um, there's a workbook I created that goes with it. Um, and a meditation was really helpful for me. It was really helpful to, to dive into, you know, and get out of the sort of homogenous story of bellies that we are told and sold and images. And there's just so much more depth and nuance. And when you start to talk to women who are in their sixties or women who have non traditional shaped bellies or non, um, uh, sort of dominant paradigm, Eurocentric, you know, bellies or 
So yeah, that's been a, a great healing project for me and it's available to all your listeners. They can just um, head to my website, uh, rachelwcole.com slash belly love and find it. And I will link to that in the show notes. I think it's uh, such an important topic because I would say 85% of the people I work with, the be- their belly is the shame. Like that's mm-hmm. where all the the shame is is directed towards and held. And, uh, and so unpacking that it can be, you know, they're such a process and is obviously individual for based on the, the based on the person and their experiences. Yeah. And so, um, you know, to have like a whole resource that's just dedicated to bellies and then the workbook and the meditation, I think it's just wonderful. So I know I've been sending people over there, uh, in my, in my you on fire program and, um, and I'll keep sending people over there. Cause I just Thanks. think it's such a needed, it's such a needed resource. Yeah, I think so too. And, and I think because our bellies are sort of can be sort of hidden under our clothing or whatever, there's power in sort of bringing it into the light and sort of naming it. And, and, and so, yeah, I'm, I'm really excited to share it. Thank you for, for sending your folks over. Have you tried Stitch Fix? If you are looking for stylish clothes that also fit you and your budget perfectly, then you are definitely going to want to check out Stitch Fix. Stitch Fix is an online personal styling service that finds and delivers clothes to fit your body, budget, and lifestyle. Here is how it works. You go to their website to sign up and you get paired with your very own personal stylist, an actual human who will take your preferences and fit information and handpick five items to send your way. The items are delivered right to your home. You try them on, pay only for what you love and return the rest. Shipping, exchanges and returns are all free. There is no subscription required either. So there's no hidden fees. You can get your fix whenever you want or sign up to receive scheduled shipments. I've heard from so many people in my body positive circle who love their experience with Stitch Fix and the stylist they were paired with, especially because they carry a full range of sizes, including 0 to 24 up to 3X. Ready to up your style game? Get started with 25% off today when you keep all five items in your box. Go to stitchfix.com slash self-love to try Stitch Fix today. That's stitchfix.com slash self-love and you will save 25% off if you keep all five items in your box. Let's talk about the postpartum period and what fears you have, how you're preparing for it. I'm curious to know. I'm curious to know what you've been doing. Well, I think for me, one of the things I'm sort of aware of is, is, you know, the possibility of postpartum depression. And so, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm on on my Zoloft and, you know, it's on my hospital bag packing list. So I don't, you know, miss a dose. Um, but I think one of my concerns is not knowing whether or not I'm experiencing postpartum depression or just some sort of normal, normal hormonal high or low sort of shift and my, the prenatal therapist that I mentioned that I see before, you know, this is one of her areas of, of specialty. So we sort of have planned that after the baby comes, you know, she, we'll be checking in. She makes house calls too, just to sort of assess like, you know, how am I doing? Uh, what do I need in that regard? So that's, and, and I've talked to my husband about it, you know, and said, you know, I think we, we both just need to be prepared as that's a possibility. And I think the other related thing that I'm concerned about is isolation, just because I work from home and 
Um, I live in sort of the outskirts of the, t- of the city I live in, not super close to my friends. And so just really trying to be intentional about making sure that my, even though I might be exhausted and not want visitors, you know, right away or whatever, that as the weeks passed, making sure that my week has like scheduled, you know, stroller walks with people and, and seeing other humans. Cause that's so important for my mental health. Mm-hmm. And I've been trying to be really proactive in that regard too. So, you know, there's a woman I sort of connected with and was sort of drawn to in my prenatal yoga class and decided last class to just go up and be like, you know, do you want to exchange numbers? And, you know, she's due before me, but there will come a time when I know, you know, I would love to be able to text her and be like, do you want to go meet up and go for a walk? And so I did that and that feels really good. I there's a new app called Peanut that's like a social networking app for moms that I was playing around with. Um, so even though I have a great network of friends, I'm just trying to build the network of people who might be available during the day, during mm-hmm. the week, and around for just, you know, let's go meet for iced coffee or whatever. Um, and yeah, just really trying to think about those things. And then, of course, the usual things like stocking the freezer and having a meal train. Um, I'm very, very, very lucky in that my husband gets, um, a lot of paternity leave. So we don't have any family nearby, but I will have his support for, a, you know, a good bit after the baby comes. So that is so a good. comfort to me. You know, I got my like Amazon shipment of depends underwear, like, you know, like <laughs> I'm going to add that to my prime day list. Yeah. I, know, I was like, I was like, <laughs> I remember a time when an Amazon box would show up and the contents were exciting. Now it's like <laughs> nipple balm and depends. Um, <laughs> but I am trying to think about, you know, the physical sort of, you know, comforts that will make being in those early weeks, you know, a soft robe and the languaging I want around visitors stopping by just a note we're sending out, you know, um, And then also just trying to, I think dads just come along slower to the reality of what's coming Mm -hmm. and doing my best to talk to my husband about like, you know, my capacity. And, you know, he said something the other day, like, I think I heard about like a marathon runner that like ran a marathon two days after giving birth. And I was like, okay, so let's talk about that. Um, (laughs) Not, you know, medically advised for most women, it's, you know, recommended, you know, there's at least a six week period of, you know, pretty serious rest. And in a lot of countries around the world, you know, there's like a 40 day lying in period where they don't go out of the house and they don't see people and they aren't doing physical exertion. And, and we've talked a lot about division of responsibility, um, that, you know, my job is really breastfeeding and sleeping. Yes. And, you know, his job is really, diapers and keeping the house clean and warming up food or going to the grocery store, you know, like he's sort of on everything else. Uh And that feels good to me. Yeah. And that feels good to him. And and so I think that's good to have that conversation early, but I'll be honest that I feel a lot more prepared about labor and delivery than I do about postpartum. Mm -hmm. Um, And and so I'll, I'll mention the book that I read recommended to you, which was the fourth trimester. Um, Of course, I'm in a blank Kimberly, Kimberly Ann something. What's the author's name? I'm just Googling Um, it because I'm blanking too. And now I feel like an asshole. She has such a great podcast, which is MAGA Mama. So she has a new book out this year called the fourth trimester. 
which was so helpful in just sort of waking me up to the the realities and the needs, not just of the baby, but of, of me, of my body that's just gone through this profound thing and how normal it is, again, around the world and all these other cultures to take care of women postpartum and how we just, we don't do that in our culture. We, we are so all about the body that bounced back or the corporate woman who was back in the office next week. And so it's been, that book was um, invaluable to me and I passed it on to you and it sounds like you have found it helpful. It's amazing. It's by Kimberly Ann Johnson and I'll link to it in the show notes. I'm so glad you directed me towards it. So I'm still only two thirds of the way through, but I've gotten through most of the I think the most pertinent stuff for, for what I need right now. And obviously I'm going to finish it probably over the next couple of days, but I think, you know, the, no one talks about that. And, and, uh, and it's been interesting because as I've been talking to, I have a couple, I have three really uh, quite close people in my life who, who had babies in the last like year and mm. year and a half. And in talking to them, they said that they were the least prepared for the fourth trimester in yes. terms of what was going to happen to them, their hormones and their body. And because you get so much care and education going into the birth, like, you know, you're, you're, you're seeing a doctor or a midwife like monthly, and then it goes down to, to I think weekly mm-hmm. and you have all this care and there's all this focus on like the birth. And then you're just on your own and there's yeah. nothing, nothing, you know, there's no information about like what just happened? Like what, what did your body just go through? And I think that this book, which has been so helpful to me too, is it's really explained everything that happens to your body, like to your organs, to your, you know, your pelvic floor, like what are the different types types of things that could happen during birth that could impact your body and how to treat those things and then, and hormonally and how to prepare yourself. And I think the biggest takeaway for me has been that in the first six weeks, your priority as a mom is to rest and feed the baby. And that is it. And like that nothing else should be on your to-do list. And so what I've got in place is my mom and my mother-in-law. I said, I, I, so I live far away. I live far away from all my family and um, my, my, my close, closest friends live on the other side of the country because I moved out here three years ago. We have a small network out here, but it's, it, you know, our, our parents live on the other side of the country. And so Fortunately, we're going to have I I've asked them to be here for those first 6 weeks like alternating mm-hmm. so that I'm not I'm not alone and yeah. that they can like I've said to them I've said my priority is to feed the baby and to rest and I want you here to do everything else for me. Yeah. And and I've been really honest about it and like I mean fortunately I have the most amazing like my mom's amazing my mother-in-law's amazing. They've both been like of course like yes like we will be there and um, to, and, and do that for you. And so it's been so helpful because I think before I was sort of going into it with the attitude of like, I can get through it. Like, yep. we'll be okay. You know, and, and, and this is really just kind of was a big wake up of like, you know, like to really, and, and I think my biggest motivator, uh, I just kind of j- jump thoughts there, but I think my biggest motivator is to do as much as I can to try to prevent postpartum depression. Cause I have a history with depression as well. I know that that's an increased risk risk with if you if you have a boy versus a girl. I've read interesting, yeah, and I don't know if that's just correlation. It probably is correlation, but that is a correlation that they've noticed. And I am having a boy. The fact that it's going to be like going into winter here, and I already get affected by mm. seasonal affective disorder. I'm really I'm really putting a lot of preparations in place to try to 
prevent it and then also to deal with it if 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 and if it does happen so yeah. so i'm i'm anticipating it in a way like yeah. i'm like i've got so i've got like the people here for the first 6 weeks and then i've got a mood appointment booked with my naturopath 6 weeks postpartum and right. um my physio uh, my pelvic floor physiotherapist, who is um, like, she's incredible. I'm going to see her six weeks postpartum. So, and again, like, I realize that this is like, I'm very fortunate that I live in a city that has amazing resources like this, that mm-hmm. I have that my, that, that this is partially covered for the most part, although I'll probably burn through my benefits before the baby even gets here, but that we can still at least have mm-hmm. access to those things. I realize that that is a privilege. I have a list of counselors to get appointments with. Like I, you know, right. I, I'm kind of setting myself up to like have a team of people to support me. And, and then, you know, other than that, it's like, we're going to maybe, you know, try to get a dog walker to help out and like just other things for the mm-hmm. first kind of three months, just to take the pressure off of me trying to do it all. Because I learned um, in speaking with Carla Korn, who was on the podcast a while back, that like perfectionism is a huge contributing factor to postpartum yeah. depression. Yeah. I also learned, and this was surprising to me because I have a history of not just depression, but also anxiety, and that postpartum anxiety is more common than postpartum depression. Yes. And we don't, we don't talk about that yes. either. Um, and so just being aware of that. And the book we referenced, um, The Fourth Trimester, has a great um, sort of template for developing your own postpartum care plan. I think she calls it a postpartum sanctuary plan. But even just I found Googling like postpartum plan template, there's a lot out there that just get you thinking about, oh, I hadn't thought about who would do this and who would do that. And I I know I think it sounds like both of us have exercised a lot in our pregnancy, just asking for what we need. Mm -hmm. And so that, that just feels like an extension. Like I, one of my best friends here, I'm like, I'm like, she would say yes in a heartbeat, but I've been like sort of hemming and hawing. Like, can I ask her to just like come and like hang out in the living room and do her work from here and just like be here? Like, you know, like I've been sort of like, of course I can. This is this sort of once in a lifetime special thing, but it does that, that muscle of, of receiving mm-hmm. is really difficult as someone who's a caretaker and a giver. Um, it's very difficult no matter how much I practice to be like, I'm going to ask someone to give of themselves, of their time, of their, you know, preferences and, and be here for me during this time. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely have a comfort level with it, with certain people like my husband, but mm-hmm. with, with other individuals, I'm terrible at it. And so like you mentioned isolation, that's something I'm really concerned about too. And uh, especially because I don't have a huge network of friends here. So um, it's something that I'm that I keep saying I'm going to put in place like to try and find people who are kind of at the same stage of pregnancy as me. I just haven't done it. Yeah. Since, oh well, God, there's sometimes some, my introvertedness. Most places have like new moms groups. Yes. And I, I learned just this weekend. So I have Kaiser health insurance in America and where I live in Northern California, every Wednesday from 10 to noon, there's like a drop in place for moms of kids up to one year. And you, you could show up at 1130, you could show up whenever, like, it's just, there's just someone there to talk to and resources and other moms are like, so I feel like, again, I wish we didn't have to take the initiative ourselves to find all the resources and gather our support, Mm -hmm. wish it was a little bit easier. But for a lot of, 
at least in my experience, there are more group support options for new moms than there are for pregnant women. Yeah. And I've noticed, I've noticed a lot of like bullets, like little um, like bulletins on the board at my mid, at my mid midwifery, but I, I haven't. Uh, yeah. And I, I joined a Facebook group and stuff just from like a neighbor with the neighborhood moms, but sometimes my introvertedness gets in the way. Of, I know. <laughs> like I it's, know. it's such a double-edged like sword. Also, it's like, are we going to be a fit? Are we going to like each other? <laughs> is she going to be my type of mom? You know, all that stuff. But in my experience, like dating is a numbers game. And so sometimes you have to go on bad dates before you find the one and yeah. it's worth it in this situation. So totally. I know. I know. And it's, it is worth it. It is worth it to kind of get it in place now as opposed to when you're just like exhausted and sleep deprived. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I know for me, like the worse my mood is, the harder I find it to reach out. Like I, I, I find it almost impossible to like reach out when I'm, you know, when I'm going through any kind of like mood, mood, uh, state where I'm either particularly anxious or depressed or anything like that. Absolutely. So I'm with you. Yeah. We'll check with each other. We'll report back. Yeah. Well, that's true. Actually, we should have little dates, like yeah. little Skype dates. Yeah. From bed. <laughs> From bed. Yeah. 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 No, I had a uh, one of my one of my really really good friends. Um, we we have dates like she'll she just, we Facetime each other and she breastfeeds the whole time. <laughs> so. totally. I had a Facetime with a friend uh, from my sits bath last night, like on my toilet while I soaked my. Yeah, took it. So there you go. Yeah. So that's what I told my mom. I was like, I'm going to FaceTime you every day when I'm breastfeeding because <laughs> I talk to my mom every day on the phone. So and I'm like, well, I'm like, now it'll be when I'm breastfeeding. It's usually when I walk my dog, but that's going to change. So <laughs> yeah. And try, but I think it's, I think it's such a good discussion to have. And I think your point about the anxiety is really important too. I actually just listened to a podcast about that earlier today about how postpartum anxiety is like one it actually happens with more frequency and and how it's not discussed at all like everyone talks about postpartum depression but fails to recognize anxiety because it's not something that's really been labeled yeah i had i did not know and and that's something to watch for yeah likewise anything else you want to talk about here i feel pretty complete me too yeah i feel good with this yeah I really enjoyed this. Yeah, me too. I hope it was helpful for everyone who is listening. And uh, where can people find more of you, Rachel? Um, when I'm not on maternity leave, <laughs> I'm at rachelwcole.com. And I'm on Facebook and I'm on Instagram. Um, so um, I'm on there. Um, more, more in 2019. Yeah. Yeah. Likewise, this will air before, but as of the end of August, I will be on hiatus until 2019, yeah. spring 2019 in my circumstance. So amazing. Well, thank you so much for your time today. I loved, I loved, I loved our conversation. This was really, really good. So I'm so glad we, that we were able to talk about all of this stuff. Me too. Thank you, Summer. Rock on. I feel so grateful that I get to go through this experience with Rachel and and have discussions like this where we can share everything that we're going through. I hope you enjoyed this episode. You can find all the links and resources mentioned at summerinandend.com forward slash 130. If you have any comments on this episode or if you have questions that you want me to answer, you can always direct message me via Facebook or Instagram and I will reply to you there. I will talk to you next time. Rock on.
I'm Summer Inanin, and I want to thank you for listening today. You can follow me on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Summer Inanin. If you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review this show. I would be so grateful. Until next time, rock on. Rock on.